Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In this message today, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And in the portions of scripture we're going to be looking at, uh, Paul is encouraging us how we can bring the gift of who we are to the body of Christ and develop and walk in unity. Earlier in the chapter, the first part of chapter 4, Paul focuses on this idea of maintaining unity within the body because there's a lot of reasons and a lot of uh, issues that come up when the church tries to live in oneness with one another. There's all kinds of outside pressures, but there are also things happening within the church, different divisions that are taking place. And it really takes work to build this uh, bond of unity and to maintain it. Uh, the, the natural course within human behavior is the splitting up of the church over the latest trend of doctrine or crafty idea or momentary experience that comes and goes. And if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, you've seen this happen. Uh, these different experiences, these different teachings that come in through the church and then they're back out within five to 10 years. And this is true of church history. Uh, the ones who have been able to endure it and make their way through it are the ones who have remained with Christ, been focused on scripture and not get uh, caught up in every wind that blows. And that's kind of the words that Paul uses here in Ephesians 4, that we're not supposed to be like children who are just thrown this way and that way, uh, chasing after the latest trends, uh, but almost in a boring sense, to use that word, but we're supposed to be faithful, consistent, um, living quiet lives, devoted to one another, devoted to Christ, and quiet in the sense that uh, we're, we're not drawing all this attention to ourselves, but instead we're pointing to him, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so in just a moment, we're going to look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, 25 to 32, but let's open with prayer. Lord, thank you for this time in your word and uh, God, how it always challenges us, but also encourages us. And I pray that for this time together, that we would feel so edified, so encouraged by your word and how we can be transformed, how the work of Jesus Christ has made us new men and women uh, in, in this life, that you have transformed us from death into life. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, that it leads us in this new life with you. I just pray that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher through this time guide our thinking and our understanding of the scriptures, and then also the application of it to our own lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, the Apostle Paul is pointing in Ephesians chapter 4 about this idea of how our lives can go beyond just serving ourselves, which is how we used to live before Jesus Christ. We just lived to serve our flesh, our own desires, and carve out a life for ourselves and just make it through life. Paul says, instead, our life can have a much bigger purpose in Jesus Christ. Our life can be an overflowing type of life that then blesses others. It can honor God and be multiplied over and over, uh, over, and over to help others. And when we help others in the body of Christ, Paul would say, we're actually helping ourselves because we're part of that body. 
So if you have a Bible, you can open it or the words are coming up on the screen. The, the text will come up on the screen here. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, when some people look at the Christian faith, they just see this list of don'ts. They see this long list of things that they can't do anymore, that serving Jesus is just going to be this uh, moral rules that they have to follow, and that's all that the Christian life consists of. But this encouragement, one of the things I love about what Paul writes here in Ephesians 4 is it doesn't have a list of don'ts alone, but it does have some don'ts, but it pairs it with what we should be doing instead. So there's a clear contrast to the type of life that we used to have uh, away from Christ and we should uh, be avoiding now as we follow Jesus. And it pairs pairs it with these actions, these thoughts, these behaviors that then we should live in as followers of Jesus. So I want to outline what this looks like for us because there's a couple things that I think each of us can be encouraged in. And I want to emphasize that this isn't just self-development. And I, I always push on this point that as we follow Jesus, we're not talking about just making a better me. We want a new me. You want a new you in Jesus Christ. And that's what this is, is pointing to. This, this isn't just me just trying to hammer out a new type of a more moral type of life. This is what it looks like when Jesus really takes hold of my life. And those who follow Jesus, this is what it looks like when he really gets a hold of your life and begins to transform us. It's contrasting these old way of living with this new way of living. And so I want us to really look to this idea that what we do, what we say has a multiplying effect on so many people all around us. It's transforming us but it's also transformational to the people around us. So the passage begins with a very powerful statement about what comes from our lips. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, the idea here that Paul is saying, listen, you don't lie to yourself. If, if you already know what the truth is, then speak the truth. He says, because you're part of the body, when you speak a lie, you're just speaking a lie, not just to your neighbor, but you're speaking it to yourself as well. So he says, we should be these people as followers of Jesus who are living in the truth. Uh, Why should we lie to the body of Christ, which only harms ourself when we speak a lie? And the truth that he's talking about, 
we're not talking about truth in the news, what, what news channel you're watching, what news source you're reading. It's talking about living a life that is perfectly aligned to Jesus Christ. That is truth. It's talking about Jesus as the truth. It's talking about the Word of God as the truth. It's talking about living a life that is fully in congruency with the life of Jesus Christ. And, and so there's this type of life, there's no discrepancies between what I say and what I do. Uh, maybe you heard that growing up where adults would say, well, uh, parents sometimes get away with this one. Well, do as I say, not as I do. Right? This idea of don't, don't pay any attention to what I'm doing, just do what I'm saying, do what I'm wanting uh, to have done. Well, this is not that type of life. This, this living a life of truth is pointing to the fact that our life that is spoken is the life that is seen. There's this consistency, this integrity between what we say and what we do, what, what people see and what is true about us. So what, uh, who I am and, and what I say I am and what I do, all of these things are consistent throughout my life. And this is how I want to represent myself, not with discrepancies or disparity between what you see and then what happens behind closed doors, but my life is just lived in truth. So I'm not suggesting that we're capable at this point, apart from when we are with Jesus, uh, we're not capable of living this out in perfection. I'm not saying that we're living in perfect alignment with the Father. That's what Jesus did. Jesus lived a life in perfection. Everything he said was what the Father said. Everything he did was what the Father asked him to do. He was sinless. He lived his life in perfect truth. And that's why Jesus could say, I am the truth. I embody the truth because my life is in perfect uh, alignment. What you see is exactly who I am. And, it, and who I am perfectly aligns with the Father. Now I realize, and, and I'm sure you realize about yourself, there is nobody else on earth who has ever done that or is doing that now. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory and his desire for us. And so there are discrepancies. There have been and there will continue to be points of disparity between who I want to be and who I'm called to be in Christ and how I'm living. And, but I, I recognize, and as followers of Jesus, we recognize that is our calling to be ever moving closer to this point of perfect alignment that will never fully get there until we are face to face with the Lord, until this life is over. But we are moving in that direction. And, and that's why Jesus, when he's speaking with the disciples, we go back to the gospels and Jesus makes this statement to the disciples, he says, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we sometimes as Christians and, and even in the world, we bristle at this, you know, well, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. <laughs> well, the problem with that statement is that it doesn't match what Jesus called us to. He called us to perfection. While it's true, we're not perfect and we are forgiven, we also are pursuing this pathway of perfect alignment between where we're at now with who we're becoming in Christ. And so that statement of I'm not perfect, it's never meant to be an excuse, it's meant to be just a reality. I'm not there yet. But we should all be able to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm becoming perfect in Christ. That's probably a better way of expressing what's happening in our discipleship path. 
It's not a point of arrogance. It's not a point of condemnation that we're not good enough. We are fully accepted, fully embraced by Christ. But it's a recognition that there is points that are not completely honest or truthful in our life. And this points back to what Paul is saying. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor if we are members of one another. So this does have to speak to just our actual speech and what we say to one another, that we don't lie about things with one another. But it points to a bigger picture and that how I relate to you in the body of Christ, how we relate to one another, that it needs to be honest, that what you see in me is genuine, that there isn't pretense, and that I'm living an honest life. I'm living in transparency before you. There's not a hidden life that my family, my friends, my fellow Christians don't know about, but what you see of me is who I am. And when we're living in the truth of Christ's redemption before one another, then we're truly living freely. So all of this points to, and when we talk about speaking honestly with one another, yes, it's the things that we're not lying with our mouth, but the other encouragement is that we're not lying with our life either, that we're confessing openly before one another places where we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory so that, not that we can be humiliated, but so that we can be encouraged and receive grace and forgiveness, so that our life all the more becomes more congruent and more consistent with the truth of Christ's redemptive work in my life. Without that, we have a lie out on the side here, and then we have what people want us to see, and there's really no freedom in that. So the Apostle Paul is pointing to this fact that if we're going to be one, if we're going to be building unity in the body of Christ, number one, we have to be living in honesty with ourselves, but even maybe more difficult with one another, honestly showing forth our life as it is, recognizing that we're not perfect yet, but we are moving towards perfection in Christ. Well, after that statement about speaking truth to one another, there's this encouragement to speak in other ways that add to one another's lives. And there's a statement in verse 28 that we shouldn't steal. He includes that at 28. And I'll come back to that one in in just a moment. But let's take a few minutes and explore what uh, what should be spoken and how we should relate to one another as followers of Jesus if we're going to strengthen one another. And and this all comes here towards the end uh, of this passage that we just read. He says we should not live, he contrasts these things. He said we should not live in anger, but we should live in forgiveness. Not using talk that corrupts, but we should use words that build one another up. We should not live in bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, or malice, but instead we should be saying yes to kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. All of these things are put in contrast with one another because Paul says, listen, before Christ, these were norms of your life. You had anger, ongoing, unresolved anger that you never got out of your life. You just lived with it. And Paul said, this is not the way of Jesus. That anger may express itself and often does show up in our lives. But he says, listen, don't let the day go on. Don't live with prolonged 
anger in your life. Don't live with it extended out, he says. Instead, you're to be people who don't, do not give the devil a foothold or a grasp on your life through this anger. Instead, you're people of redemption, you're people of forgiveness. So he says, address anger early on in your life. Don't live in that. But instead, live in forgiveness. Let the, the bulk, the majority of your life live that life in forgiveness, not in anger. Tip the scales and only let anger have a little sliver, a moment before it gets addressed and then it gets moved out of your life. He also talks about this talk that corrupts and it's this idea that it, it's corrosive in a sense. It just, it wears away, it tears down. And this type of talk, it's throughout Paul's letters to the church, that these types of, of words that are used and, and the way that we address people, he says there's this this approach that we can take with people that completely corrupts them and builds them uh, or tears them down. And, and he even kind of points to this uh, later on in Ephesians 5, he brings it up again. And he talks about this type of talk that is coarse. It, it's not appropriate, he says, for God's people. Uh, coarse joking, types of jokes that are, are, are not appropriate. And, and scripture addresses this. and. And can I just kind of point to this idea that this isn't about, some people bristle at this idea because they talk about, well, I, I'm not going to be some Christian prude who only says words like, well, golly beaver, you know, or turn back to leave it to beaver or 1950s TV shows and golly gee or whatever the, the language might be. You know, you know, people say, well, I don't want to be just some overly stiff person who you know, bristles at a cuss word. You know, Paul's not talking about that, though it can certainly extend to the types of words we use. Paul's looking at a bigger picture and he's saying, listen, what comes out of your mouth, you and I as followers of Jesus had better be careful because there's language that corrupts, that corrodes and tears down there's language that is not fitting. It, it doesn't fit the moment. He says, if you're careful, if you're careful, that begins to replace those words that are life-giving. And this is in part what he's addressing in this. He says, listen, don't use language that corrupts, tears down, or is ill-fitting, but instead use those words that build each other up. And I don't know if you've been around people like this who only have a language and a vocabulary that tears down. But I, I bet if you're around them very long, you decide, you know, I really don't enjoy talking with that person. Because yes, it might be the words that they use, but it's also just the things they talk about that it corrupts and it tears down. And it's not about being prudish or somehow afraid of cuss words or certain types of language. It's just the sense of, it's just ill-fitting. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really fit the moment. I remember early on in my walk with Jesus, prior to coming to Christ, I just let my tongue say whatever rolled out of my mouth. And so I had a whole vocabulary of words that you know, really aren't uh, appropriate for certain settings and they would just come out whenever I would uh, say something and, and that was 
part of just my life before Christ. But I remember after coming to Jesus, nobody had to tell me which words to say or not to say. I just remember that at times when I would early on walk with Jesus and something surprising would happen, one of those words that I would say, one of those ill-fitting words, they would just blurt out when I, out of my shock or surprise. And I remember out of that in my response to the Holy Spirit that he actually would convict me of that and say, that doesn't fit you or that's not becoming of you in this moment. And I remember that being a point of correction for me in the moment. Now, does that mean we have to go around and police people's language all the time? No, nope. that's, that's never the approach that we've taken at New Horizons and for me as a pastor, but I have to be the, the language police. But what it does speak to is, are you, am I, responsive to the Holy Spirit if he is convicting us of something? And one of the things that I guarantee you, because Paul says it in here, Jesus addresses it in his teachings, one of the things that the scriptures address and the Holy Spirit will address in you is what are you saying and how are you saying it and is it fitting for the moment? And he will address that over and over because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as Jesus would say. It's out of what's in us is what comes out of us. And so that's why our speech matters so much. So this talk that corrupts, instead, we're supposed to, this replacement action that we're supposed to have that he points to is words that build up. Instead of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, all of these things that give us a disposition towards people that is negative and tears them down. Instead, Paul says you should say yes. You should embrace kindness towards others, tender-heartedness. Boy, how difficult can that be? Remaining tender-hearted to people and not building up walls, defensiveness, anger, uh, hardness towards people. He says tender-hearted towards others. And then forgiving others, just as God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. So all of these things point to this next point I want to make. In Jesus Christ, we change from a position of disrespect and disregard towards one another and embrace an attitude of honoring and preference for one another. That is such a powerful change that I could move from disrespect and disregard and move towards honoring and preference for others. And this is what Jesus does. This is how he lived his life and this is how he transforms us as well. I'm no longer ambivalent or thoughtless towards others. I'm not just focused on me, in fact, just the opposite. I'm less focused on me and I become very aware of you. I'm very aware of others, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I'm no longer just thoughtless, but I give thought. I become an advocate for the work of Jesus Christ in your life, in others' lives, as I'm aware of, of what Jesus is doing in my own life. I start removing obstacles that would keep you from becoming everything that Jesus wants to do and who he wants you to become in your life. I want to build up your relationship with God. So again, I'm, adv I'm an advocate. I work with the Holy Spirit, not against the Holy Spirit in your life. I partner with what he's wanting to say, how he's wanting to encourage the things that come out of my mouth, build you up instead of tear you down. I want to dismantle my attitudes and actions 
that push you away from God or keep you separated from Christ. And I want to encourage and do something that benefits you instead. Well, this brings us back to verse 28, and this is where we close this message. Uh, Verse 28, it almost seems out of place, but it really gives a very clear picture of what's happening when we step into life with Jesus Christ, the crossing from death into life. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, in each of the things that were brought up earlier, uh, it's this idea we need to stop doing something uh, that leads to a tearing down or a destruction or a diminishing of the other person in some way. And I could be tempted to just run right past verse 28 and say, oh, well, I've never really had a problem with stealing. or I've never been afraid of labor, hard labor even. And so this, I'm not, this doesn't apply to me. Verse 28, I can skip over that and just move to the other ones because I'm challenged with what I speak and what I say. But look at me at the change that the verse is pointing to. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his hands, catch this, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's really a full transformation that's taking place that this is pointing to. It's an individual who used to steal, take, use his hands for just the only thing. It wasn't for building up or laboring, but just for stealing for his own purposes, taking from others, breaking down and diminishing what others had. Transformed into someone who does labor, who works, who toils, so that this individual can then do something that will be an offering to others. It would be a benefit to others. So stealing other people's property may not be a challenge for you. You may be one who, you know, hardworking uh, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and you're helping others with the work of your hands. They benefit from your labor. But I want to ask, can the same be said of your words? Can the same be said of your attitudes and your actions towards others? Are you stopping? Are you diligent? Are you toiling? Are you you aware the work that it takes for you to stop words that steal joy so that instead you can build others up and rejoice with them? Are you stealing others' honor by minimizing their accomplishments? Are you stealing other people's dignity by exposing or revealing things about them in front of others that would somehow make them look small or diminish them in front of other people's eyes? Or are you working? Are you diligent to mind your tongue, your words, your attitudes, and your actions towards others so that instead you're building them up and allowing them to draw closer to Christ? You're building them up so that they can be restored in the fullness of what God has for them. I recognize you may not be stealing. I'm I'm not one who struggles with stealing things from the store or from others. But there are times in my life where I do struggle with the temptation to play what we sometimes call the devil's advocate. (laughs) Where I want to be the negative voice 
who counters the other view. I want to give a, a dose of realism. And so I crush the moment of joy with realism. I rob from the person's dignity by trying to put them in their place with a sharp word or by pointing out their mistakes from the past. No, I'm not stealing with my hands, but boy, I sure do find in myself the ability to steal the moment with my words. I think it's really challenging for all of us that Paul points to this. He says there's a replacement action for that in the kingdom of God. Don't be a thief, not just with your hands, but with your attitudes, your actions, and your voice. Don't be a thief, but be the one who adds to, who's diligent, who does the hard work of taming the tongue so that you and I can be those who build up others. I'll finish with this, this point. My new life in Christ leads me to stop stealing those things that bring life to others, but instead I'm laboring with my words and actions to build others up. I pray that's true of you. I'm praying regularly that that's true of me and that I'm diligent. I do the hard work, not just with my hands to labor, to contribute to those around me, but I do the hard work to, to tame my thoughts and to tame the attitudes and my heart so that the words that come out of my mouth and the way that I treat others builds them up. Because when I'm building others up, especially within the body of Christ, when I'm building up his body, what Paul would point to, what the scripture points to, is that I'm actually building myself up. I'm helping myself because I am part of the body. And it does me no good, just as little as I would want somebody to tear me down or I would tear myself down, Paul says it does no good when you and I tear another person down or, or rob from them, steal from them, that which we instead could be building up. It's a good place for us just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do it because it's not in our own nature to do it, but it is in His nature to do it. So let's ask for help. And I just pray that as uh, we go forward in our day and in our time that He would allow us to be those who instead of stealing and robbing and tearing down, we would be those who bless and who benefit and build up. So Lord, thank you for your word. May it transform us from the inside out. Uh, God, help us. Holy Spirit, help me, help each one who's hearing this today to invite you to tame this tongue. We can't do it on our own, but Lord, uh, would you help us in the transformation of our thinking, the tenderness of our heart, Lord, to be those who um, are partnering with you to shape the life uh, of those people around us, uh, to, to, Lord, not to steal, but to build up, to add to, to contribute to the work that you're doing, to help them become more in your image. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to it and you're also empowering us for it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.